turn to Philippians chapter 4, if you would, and we'll get there in just a moment. I got a, I got a silly video clip that I wanted to show. It's only about 30 seconds long, but it, it's so meaningful to some of us, and you'll know what I'm talking about in a minute. But in football, there is what's called the Hail Mary Pass, right? And I, I actually looked this up this week on, of all things, Wikipedia to see what it says about the Hail Mary football pass. Here's what it says. The expression, and I didn't know this. Now, I'm sure some of you know it. I mean, Don, you know this, I'm sure, right? <laughs> it goes back to the 1930s when it was used publicly by two former members of Notre Dame's Four Horsemen, Elmer Layden and Jim Crowley, the high school guys that Terry went to high school with. Originally, <laughs> Terry, you didn't know you were going to get it today, did you? <laughs> Sorry. Originally, it, it originally meant any, any type of desperation play. A Hail Mary gradually came to denote a long, a low probability pass, typical of the alley-oop variety, attempted at the end of a half when a team is too far from the end zone to execute a more conventional play, implying that it would take, what, divine intervention for the play to succeed. For more than 40 years, use of the term was largely confined to Notre Dame and other Catholic universities. I didn't know all that stuff. It's meaningless, but I didn't know all of that stuff. But it became widespread when? In, in December, not that I remember this, but December 28, 1975, a playoff game between who? Dallas Cowboys and... See, I'm a cowboy fan. You all know it. The Minnesota Vikings. And it took place at the Rock of Gibraltar. It's where Roger Staubach, we won't show the clip. It's okay. Roger Staubach, I have a clip of it. I just love to watch it. It's a great clip. But Roger Staubach, you know, he drops back. We're behind. One touchdown. He throws up a prayer. And he throws it up. And Drew Pearson catches it. Goes to the end zone. Cowboys win the game. Win the playoff game. Drew Pearson pushed off. Oh, yeah, you must be a Minnesota fan. You got to find a lot of friends in here. Anyway, here's what Roger Staubach said. I closed my eyes and said a Hail Mary. The rationale is that a pass thrown under such desperate circumstances required divine intervention. And so the quarterback threw up a prayer, right? My point is, desperate people pray. People in, people in foxholes pray. People going through divorce pray. People who, their kids go bad and run away, they pray. When the, when the bills can't be paid and they're going to lose everything, people pray. I ask myself, does, when we come to the end of our resources and we pray, does prayer change things? If it does, why do we wait till we're desperate to pray? So, that's what we're going to study today. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. All right, show Roger. All right, it's a great moment. There he is, Roger Stallback, Notre Dame. And he's the Heisman Trophy winner, and now he's a Cowboy. And he throws it, and Drew Pearson pushes off and scores a touchdown for the Cowboys. (laughs) 
Great story, great story. The desperate Hail Mary. So let's talk about the difference between Hail Mary and what prayer is all about. Okay? Always look at chapter 4, verse 4 and 7. Some of the greatest verses in Scripture for the Christian. I'll bet you that there's half of this class that have a portion or all of this memorized. Now, having it memorized and following are two different things, as we all know. But you say, are you going to come up with anything new today? Probably not. But this has been on my heart so much lately. I think the Lord's going to speak to somebody and teach us something, maybe all of us. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Good, we've got it. I say it again, rejoice. And I'm reading from the NLT. So if your Bible does not, version does not follow along, I've got that on the screen if you want to see that. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. This is the key, verse 6. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, if anybody had an excuse for worrying, it was Apostle Paul. If you read earlier in this chapter, he's got two women in his church that are fighting with each other. In the church at Philippi, and he's writing back to them, and they're fighting. He said, listen, he said, I'm telling you, you ladies in the church, be nice to each other, make up, quit fighting. It's terrible. And I think he's saying, I'm a little concerned about it. He also had, we'd read elsewhere, he also had believers in Rome that were fighting amongst each other, division. And he's pleased, he's pleased with them. This is, life's too short. Get over it. Move on. But he's saying, he's got all of that to worry about, the care of the churches. Oh yeah, by the way, he's got one other little thing on his mind. He's a prisoner of Nero, and he expects to die. So he's in prison, he writes this uh, letter to them, and what does he tell them to do? Don't worry. Pray about everything. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. So the focus is in verse 6. The focus is the text where it talks about worry and prayer. Now, Maranao is the Greek word for worry. And it, as, you, as you think, it means to be troubled with care. But if you look at the word closely, it actually means to be pulled from different directions. So with the thought being hoped for is being pulled in one way, what you're afraid of is pulling you the other way. You hope that test says everything's okay. Your fear is saying it's not going to be okay. It's the worst thing ever. And what do you get in the middle? Worry. Right? That's what the word is. So Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, from the spiritual point of view, worry is wrong thinking, the mind, and wrong feeling, the heart, about circumstances, people, and things. Worry is the thief of joy. Now, we're going to do a little work on this today. Write down where you are. Take your piece of paper that you've got and just write on there. And you don't have to show it to anybody. And it, I'm not going to tell anybody about it. Well, maybe a few people. But uh, write down on there what you worry about. Just write down. I worry that I can't pay my bills. I worry that I did that. Write it down. You got, you got 
30 seconds. It's easier to do this than it was in the service to write down your friends. Okay? You agree? What do I worry about? What do I worry about? We're going to get a list and see if the Bible says anything about it. All right? Now, when I say shout it out, I mean shout it out because I don't hear what you're saying, okay? So, let's start. Give me, just name them. What are they? Okay, health problems. What? Family? Family. Children. There, there, you know, there's no wrong answers here, guys, okay? You can't make a mistake because that's what you're worried about. Work-life balance. I have the immediate answer to that one. Don't work. Yeah. My, my work-life balance is really good right now. Okay. Oh, no, seriously, what else we got? Finance. Finance. All right. Finances. I, I was wondering when, when those of you that are, are worried about that would tell me. Relationships. Relationships. Okay. What else? Job. All right. What else you worried about? Huh? Worried about the country. I know what you mean. I don't watch TV. For the next three weeks, I'm not watching TV. You know, I'm not going to watch it. Everybody hates everybody. Okay? What else? Our president. We're worried about our president. Okay? Now, we'll stop there. My list looks different than that, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. Your list probably looks different than that, too. But let's see what Jesus' list was. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Let's see what Jesus says. His, the list is should, you know, the list covers. All right, let's see if we got this covered. Matthew 6:25 and down through verse 34. It says, That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Jesus said, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. He said, don't worry about this. He said, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he certainly will care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need, so don't worry about tomorrow. Nobody put the future up there, did we? I bet you if we're honest, a couple of us would have snuck a little word in there that says the future. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. So, Jesus breaks it down in these, these categories. Don't worry about physical attributes and physical things about you and your body. You can't be taller, you can't be shorter, although I find that I'm getting a little shorter. He said, don't worry about your clothing. Don't worry about food and drink, what you're going to eat, what you're going to put on, what you're going to drink. Don't worry about the future. So Jesus tells us what not to worry about. So if we take this passage, the, the verses that we read this morning, verse 4 down through verse 7, we could read the whole thing, but here's what this passage is talking about. Rejoice, he said, first of all, in the person of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the who? Person. 
Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, not in any circumstance, but rejoice in the Lord. All right? Then he said, reflect on the presence of the Lord. Reflect on the presence of the Lord. Talk about that in a minute. The Lord is near, it says. Request the provision of the Lord. That's when we pray and ask for God to provide what we're worried about. Rest in the peace of the Lord. The result is peace. Now, actually, if you start at the end, beyond where we just read, we can use a verse of scripture that Pastor Josh used last Sunday. And last Sunday, he used that verse, if there's any, all those virtues and the good things, think on these things. And what was his premise? He was talking, he's talking about detoxing your thinking. Remember? And he said, replace your thinking habits in order to take down what? Does anybody remember? Strongholds. Now, when you heard him say strongholds, if you're like me, <coughs> I was thinking, okay, he's talking about addiction. He's talking about drugs. He's talking about you know, alcoholism. He's talking about abuse. He's talking, oh, no, I, I thought all these are strongholds, the pornography or the wrong thinking about all these things that causes these addictions. And then I'm reading this passage today, I mean this week, and I'm saying, you know what a big stronghold can be in our lives? Worry. Worry. And it does just as much to destroy our Christian walk day by day as some of these other strongholds that come to our mind. And what did he say was the answer to that? What is the answer to getting rid of a stronghold? What did he say we had to do? Does anybody remember? Replace it with something. Important principle. So, this is, this is for all of us. Now, the first thing that we should think about, and I'm going to go through this very quickly, but men, I think men and women both worry, but we express it differently. Men, pretty much, it's a, and I, can, I say this because I happen to be one, but men, we, most of the time, and for most men, you meet and you say, you know, everything okay? Everything's fine. I'm not worried. You're going to go have this done? Not me. I'm not worried at all. It's a badge of honor that you don't worry about anything. And deep down inside, you say, oh, dear God, don't let it be bad. <laughs> but you never show that, right? We won't show that. Now, that's different for some people. But I would say generally that's true. I think that women are a little bit more open about what they worry about. I think both of us worry. Some, of, some people, you meet them on the outside, you don't think they ever worry about anything. I mean, I, there's some people in this classroom that I look at you, and I'm going to embarrass him, I know. There's a man in this room, I don't think, if, from his outward appearance, I don't think he's ever worried about anything. Don Mask is never worried about anything. <laughs> I look at Don Mask, I said, how are you doing? I mean, everything could be going wrong. And he just says, I'm doing great. <laughs> and I think he is. He's got the answer. So I really should have spent time with Don this week to find out what his answer is, but I didn't. And then there are those who wear it on their sleeve, of course, but here's the thing. It is a stronghold in many lives to the point that it is hampering our Christian life. And he's got the answer for it. So start with the, and he said, 
Before he tells us stop, stop worrying, he says rejoice, right? He said twice, rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Let everyone see you are considerate. Then he said, let everyone see you are considerate, and then the Lord is near. So you start with the joy of the Lord. And he's saying, if you're just foundational, before I get to worry, he said, if your joy is in the Lord, it's constant. If it's in something else, it's not. If your joy or happiness is in a happening, then your joy is not going to be constant. And that's, I think that's why he says that. If it's based on circumstances, it will constantly change. Then you understand what I'm saying about if the circumstances are different and you base your happiness on circumstances. Let me just give you an example. I've got to give you one example of this. Some of us would say, if, my, if I could just pay this bill, I'd be happy. No, you won't. Why? Because if you can't be happy when you owe the bill, you're not going to be happy when you pay the bill because your joy is based on a circumstance that's going to change. How many of us have ever said, when you're working, you say, if I could just make X amount of money, I'll never have another worry. If, and, you, and then you get to that point and you make X amount of money and you say, that didn't work. I need more. If I could just have this. That, why? Because your joy is based on circumstances. If I could just get past this health test that I'm having, if I could just get past it, my joy will be fine. Everything will be fine. And you get the test, and the test is great, and you say, this is wonderful. And the next day, you have a pain in your back. You say, oh, no, it's, another, it's a tumor. <laughs> Why? Because your joy is not based on the Lord. It's based on a circumstance, <laughs> right? Okay, enough said. He said, let everyone see your gentleness. This is a really neat word. case in Greek, which means fair, mild, gentle, considerate. In other words, this is impossible to have this kind of attitude unless you've dealt with this issue of worry. Then he says, this is good. Then he says, the Lord is near or at hand. There's two schools of thought of what that means. Can you guess what they are when it says the Lord is at hand? Tell me. Some people say it means he's, Jesus is coming soon. Some people say something else. That the Lord, what, is present, is nearby. Say, which one is it? We'll ask Paul when we get to heaven. I don't know. I think, though, it means that Jesus is near and that he's coming soon. That's what I think it means. Listen to what John MacArthur said. MacArthur says, because of the presence of God, believers are to be anxious for nothing. Nothing is outside of his sovereign control or too difficult for him to handle. It has a lot to do with what you believe about the sovereignty of God. Ooh. It's this mindset. All right, now stick with me here for just a second. You say this. Okay, God, here's, here's what we say. You don't really say this, but this is what we really do say. Okay, God. You made the stars, you made the sun, you made the universe, you're the God who created the sun and the moon. Oh yeah, the sun is the right mass and composition, and it's the ideal distance from the earth to enable life on our planet. If it were much smaller, its luminosity wouldn't allow the high efficiency photosynthesis necessary in plants. 
Have any of you said that lately? I, I, if it were much closer, the water would boil away from the planet's surface. Similarly, our moon is just far enough away and just the right size to stabilize the Earth's tilt. Without the moon's stabilizing presence, the Earth would experience wild temperature swings with devastating consequences. And so you said, good job. You did great with this creation thing. You did great with the sun and the moon and the stars. Now I'm taking control over my problem. And that's what Paul's talking about. That's the sovereignty of God. He's, he's the big God who's created everything, but he's not interested in solving his children's problems for them. Hmm. Verse 6 says, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. The principle is clear. But you know what I found a long time ago? How many of you ever just said this? Go, you know, Joe Tom, I know there's things going rough with the piano business and not getting any, you know, just don't worry about it, buddy. Now, that's a real help, isn't it? No, it's not a real help. I mean, it doesn't help me at all. That's not what Paul teaches. He's not saying that we just... I'm, you can't just say, I'm determined to stop. I'm not going to worry tomorrow. I'm going to get up and everything's going to be fine. I'm not going to worry about it. It doesn't work that way. You ha Remember what Josh said. Again, you have to replace it for it to tear down a stronghold. You have to replace it. And Paul teaches us to replace it with prayer. Now, let's talk about that prayer. This is the most important thing I think I'll say about prayer today. Prayer seeks to draw resources from the invisible spiritual realm into the visible physical reality. That's what prayer is. Prayer is not, Lord, bless everybody. Okay, I've done my prayer today. Lord, I've got a, uh, you, know, you know, Joe Tom's got trouble with his business and help him out. Amen. And oh yeah, give me a good day and help me not to pray that my wife won't get mad at me today. And uh, that's your prayer life. And you say, I just don't know why I can't get over this worrying problem that I have. Because prayer is actually saying, I, I, it's not just a Hail Mary. I have to get the resources from the invisible reality of heaven into the reality of my life. That's what prayer is. Now, the more you worry, the less you pray. The more you pray, the less you worry. It's, it's a biblical fact. So, when you pray about something you're worried about, you declare your dependence on God, period. I can depend on myself, but my record's pretty spotty. Or I can depend on God, who's never failed me. So that's our choice when we come to pray. Now, it says to pray with thanksgiving. So I'm gonna, I don't know what that means. I honestly looked at that this week. I said, I've, I've taught this lesson a hundred times or on this passage, and I've never stopped and say with thanksgiving. So I always said, that means when I pray, I'm supposed to say, Lord, God, thank you for uh, helping me today. In Jesus' name, amen. I've prayed with thanksgiving. Let me show you what it means. Okay, Mike, I want you to deliver a message for me, all right? I want you to deliver a message to John Petschke over there, all right? Would you take that to him, please? And ask you to read it. Just take him the message, Okay. <laughs> Just give it to him. See? Very easy. Very easy. I, not, no, I don't, I don't want to embarrass you. All right. All right. Now, John, would you read what the, this message from me to, to John, 
And, and, and Mike took it for me. All right, what does the message say? Will you bring me a meal? <laughs> That's a reasonable request, isn't it? I'm, I'm, I'm asked, I've got a request, Mike. Okay, you don't have to read this. I want you to take him another request. Let's see which one John will pay attention to. <laughs> you can't get good help these days, you know what? Have you noticed that? What does it say, John? I am very hungry. I can't get out of the house. Thank you so much for bringing me a meal this evening. Now, which one is he going to listen to probably more quickly, than the first one or the second one? That's praying with, that's my prayers with thanksgiving and trust. That's the difference in when you pray about something you're worrying about and you say, Lord, I'm worried about this bill. I can't pay this bill. I'm praying, thank you for helping me with this. I don't know how you're going to resolve this, but you know what? You love me so much that you're interested in this problem. I know you are. I don't want to worry about it. I love you and I want to serve you. Thank you for helping me with this. That means I trust him. That's what it means to pray when you're worried with thanksgiving. It's a thanks, thankful trust that he is going to take the problem, that he is sovereign enough. You say, well, it's such a little problem. It's a little tiny problem. How many of our problems to God are little tiny problems? All of them. Okay, here's the result. Peace, peace. Look at verse 7. Uh, then you will experience God's peace. Sounds like a promise. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds. You live in Christ Jesus. Now, listen up. Now, I know you men, all of you have peace all the time. You don't worry. Because I got notes back when I said I was going to talk about worry today. Who did I get notes back from? Only women. I can't wait to hear the lesson. I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to, th to, to hear what God says about it. Did I have any man? God said, no. <laughs> any man come in and say, I have trouble with worry. Why? Because well, I don't have trouble with worry. I handle it. I'm a big man. That's the way we are. And yet, you know what? Inside, it's just boiling. Many times over these issues, we, why worry when you can what? Pray. Now, the pathway to peace is this is the pathway. Paul says it's very clear. What does he say about peace? He said it's divine peace, experience God's peace. Divine peace comes from him. It's God's peace. There's something different about God's peace. Transcends all understanding. Peace excels over our knowledge, and it guards your heart and mind. Prayerful people are peaceful people. If you struggle with worry right now, listen, you can experience calm in the midst of chaos. I know. I've experienced it. Many of you have experienced it. And yet, sometimes we wait for the Hail Mary time until we get there. So, let's decide that we're going to experience this calm that the world does not understand. That people who are unbelievers don't get. Peace is not freedom from conflict. Peace is my will merging with his will.
all right? My will, merging with his will, I've got peace. So the pathway to peace, replace worry, whatever it is. You're worried about our country, rightfully so. Well, have we given it to God in prayer with thanksgiving, saying, Lord, you're going to deal with it, because doesn't he rule over the heart of the king, it says? Okay. So that includes both of those. Well, I've got this troubled relationship. When you bring that in worry, I have this troubled relationship, my son, my daughter, my wife, my husband, my friend, my neighbor, my cousin. We've got this serious relationship problem. And you say, well, I prayed about it before and God didn't do anything. Yeah, he did. He didn't, oh, he didn't do what you wanted him to do? <laughs> That's the difference. So when you come to God with thanksgiving, just like I gave this to, to John, I said, John, the first time I said, will you bring me something? Bring me a meal? That's how we pray, right? Bring me a meal. Bring me a meal. Next time I said, John, very hungry. I can't get out of the house. Lord, I, I got to have this test. I've got to go. I, I, I feel this pain. I feel like I've got I, something's wrong, maybe in my heart. I got to go have this test. And Lord, I, I'm, I'm worried about it. I need your calm and peace. I, I, I need you to let me know that you're in control. Thank you for doing that. And I'm gonna have to, I may have to pray this ten times till I let go of it. But then the divine calm comes and peace comes because you've replaced that worry with prayer. Real, specific prayer until God says and verifies it in your heart, I've got this. I've got it. Not to where you just come to class and someone says, I'm praying for you, and you say, don't worry, God's got it. And you sit down and say, boy, I hope God's got it, because if he doesn't, I'm done. You haven't let go of it yet. You haven't replaced it yet. Keep praying until he replaces it. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these problems that we've got up here on the board that our worries, that we're worried about these things, I pray right now we would begin the process of saying, we trust you. We're worried. We don't know what the result is. You know what the results will be. And it may not be what we want, but you can make me calm in the middle of it because I, I just trust you that you have the very best for me. Teach us this truth. In Jesus' name, amen.